0: Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Open the pod bay doors, please help. I am quite, quite uh, interested to review this recent article that I saw published last week. It's not really a publication. It's uh, really a comment, maybe a Jeremiad. I don't know how else to describe it. So I want to take this opportunity to go through this popular article called The Big Bang Didn't Happen. And uh, I want to address some of the concerns that I've heard about it from professional colleagues. Uh, some outright just dismissing it, calling it utter nonsense, not worthy of, uh, of contention. But um but uh, I don't think it's it's entirely as instructive to just outright dismiss it and say it's it's completely wrong. Even though I'm going to outline ten reasons uh, why I do think it's wrong, and I want to do that more as a way to describe uh, how to look at scientific popularization and when media claims are made. How do you know if it's clickbait if you're not a professional scientist? There's a famous saying, it might be Carl Sagan who said, you know, it takes 10 times as much emphasis to uh, to refute, I think he said nonsense or BS. Um, we'll keep it clean in case any of my kids come through the room. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, it takes 10 times as much energy, let's say, to refute a claim than to make a claim. And yet the claim uh, for such a wavy Topic as saying the big bang didn't happen. Uh, Really, the onus is on the claimant, not on the uh, proponents of the uh, current paradigm. Doesn't mean the paradigm is entirely correct. I'm going to outline some of the things in the um, in the article that I think you know they're worthy of of uh, you know further investigation perhaps but I want to take this opportunity as again my role on this channel and my podcast is to teach you to think as scientifically as possible if you're a scientist or a non-scientist uh, if you're a graduate student uh, I kind of think of this as kind of like office hours and wanting to uh, portray it in a way that um, anybody can understand and hopefully, get uh insight into the nature of which of these claims are worthy of your attention i was alerted to this by you know someone very very well known in the media uh but not entirely liked by everyone on this uh on this channel who uh, asked me if this is real or should i take this article the big bang didn't happen or never happened should i take that seriously so i want to um uh first call up the paper Uh, or the article rather and this is in iai news which is the institute for art and ideas there's a link in the video description below the claim by eric lerner who is a well-known person even though i didn't really know much about him he is the president and chief scientist of lpp fusion and he is the author of a very similar titled book to this article called the big bang never happened now that was one of my first kind of uh i won't say warning signs but but sort of a maybe a red flag that came in (laughs) um And that was, you know, whether or not we can really say, uh, there's any, there's complete lack of interest in, in, uh, you know, in a personal sense, uh, from this particular individual. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to speculate on why or why not he would write this to, you know, is it to sell a book? Is it to, um, is it to, you know, get attention for something, but you always have to ask, are there, are there non-scientific motivations at work, um, so, um, uh, so we'll take a look through the article and we'll ask ourselves, you know, about the, uh, the underlying claims and if they have merit. Okay. So let's look at this article again. This is an IAI. I just did a recent, um, uh, event for them where I described the, uh, I described the, uh, well, I was a host and moderator between uh, Carlo Ravelli, Eric Weinstein and Sabina Hassenfelder with a discussion of uh, the reality of quantum mechanics. So I'm affiliated with the Institute for Arts and Ideas, and they've invited me to speak. They actually invited me to speak in September, where Eric is going to be at uh, their Festival of Arts and Ideas or the How the Lights Gets In Festival. I I couldn't make it. Oh, yeah, see, there it is. Eric Lerner will be speaker at our upcoming festival, How the Light Gets In, London 2022. I was invited. I can't make it. Um, teaching and so forth. So uh, I'll miss out on that. But one of my friends, Priya Naratijan, professor at Yale, she is apparently going to be debating him. So if you're in England, if you're in the UK, make sure to check it out. Um, So uh, the IAI is a um, uh, well-known, you know, is a well-known project i suppose to um to bring science and artistic ideas to the to the general public uh and so i, I like them i support them. I, don't know, I don't work for them i don't get anything from them um except uh you know the intellectual satisfaction of uh, debating with uh friends like carlo and sabina and eric anyway okay so everyone who sees the james webb telescope uh, space telescope image of the cosmos are beautifully awe-inspiring okay that's true um And that's not at all predicted by theory. Okay, so there's the first thing. So what they're showing is that these images in Cosmology, they're extremely surprising. They're not at all expected. Lots of surprises and not necessarily pleasant ones. One paper's title begins with the title panic okay candid explanation so let's see what is that what is he talking about there so i mean panic that must mean the big bang's totally uh, farcical right so let's let's uh let's investigate let's click on this link and see what does it bring up panic at the disks first rest frame optical observations of galaxy structure at z greater than 3 which JWST in the smacs field this is actually by written by the third author is a former guest on the podcast christopher constelis professor in the uk Obviously, this is not saying panic, you know, (laughs) that the Big Bang Theory is wrong, as this uh, guy starts off, Eric starts off his article, as if to, you know, bring uh, some doubt and dispute, and and cosmologists are in a state of panic. No, they're not in a state of panic. Uh, This is a joke, a tongue-in-cheek article, and I would be surprised if this actually gets uh, uh, published with the title, Panic. Um, It's obviously a, a reference, a callback to the, um, well-known, uh, popular music band, the Panic at the Disco. So they're just being cute. I think it's kind of funny, and um, I don't think there's anything wrong with starting a paper like this. Now, what's surprising is that Christopher Consolis is the editor of AppJ, or one of the editors of AppJ, and he may um, he may actually have a. Uh, you know, uh, say an override in this paper's title actually getting published. Okay, so let, let's just take it for granted that this, book, this paper is not about saying that people should panic. They're talking about the surprising result that a greater than 1.5 disk galaxies dominate over the overall fraction of morphologies with a factor of 10 higher number of deaths than seen by the Hubble Space Telescope at these redshifts. Now, why would that be a crisis? Why, would that, why should that be a problem? Well, according to Eric, the Big Bang didn't happen, so the universe is much, much older. And in the Big Bang model, the universe is only uh, 13.7 billion years old. Therefore, it shouldn't have enough time to spin up these galaxies into uh, the configurations that they're known as spinning galaxies or disk galaxies. Now, that could be because the previous telescope, Hubble, was not designed to even have the capability to see galaxies at these high redshifts. So actually, I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of I don't honestly, honesty or, or integrity. But, but the point is, is that the Hubble Space Telescope was not capable of seeing galaxies at these high redshifts. So it's not so surprising that when you have a new tool like this, you're going to see things that your other uh, telescope wouldn't have seen. Imagine if, you know, Hubble using the Mount Wilson 100-inch telescope in Los Angeles had said, uh, well, you know, you see so many galaxies and they're so far away from us. Um, and, and then when the Palomar Observatory in San Diego County was uh, opened up 200 inches, it has four times the collecting area. It can see things four times fainter or even more. Uh, and it's, oh, well, it's inconsistent with what, uh, with what Hubble saw in Mount Wilson. Well, of course it is because it has more capability. So it's going to have a more finer um, tooth comb to filter out things that Hubble couldn't see. There's another issue in that he doesn't address, but any proper scientist should address this: is that the calibration of the, of the James Webb Telescope is actually uh, a, proce- a work in progress. It's not that we have, uh, you know, ultimate confidence in the calibration of it. Um, and now we, th- we talk about uh, they're blatantly contradicting the hypothesis of the Big Bang. So that's the first thing so he's, he's trying to sow doubt in the in the reader's mind and, and of course this gets spun up in the press oh man astronomers in chaos in a panic uh, there everything that we thought is wrong um, of course it's going to get headlines and, and he knows this and and uh, and it's a little disappointing that that um, you know so much is being made in the popular press um, and you know this when you know your grandmother or your grandfather starts asking you about these things oh the big Bang didn't happen um, So um, now these galaxies, what he shows are, JWSC G- G- o- F- galaxies show the same size galaxies near to us. Now, there's nothing quantitative about that. And actually, it's known that in a expanding universe, there will be a minimum size of galaxies. Uh, so galaxies can be no smaller than a certain size. And that's called the angular diameter distance. i have a video about that someday uh, coming out. Uh, but But the bottom line is that we don't have any reason to suspect that galaxies should be smaller or bigger than a given size, which is a constant size, of about an arc minute or so. And, um, and he's saying that it's not at all consistent with what's expected of this. Now, redshifts up to five, et cetera. And there was a lot made in the very first couple of days where these data are picked from. Uh, and that was, uh, that was you know, saying that galaxies were made at redshifts of 10 and 20, much, much higher redshifts. Some of those have been retracted. Um, And there is uh, a normal rush to get uh, data out and to get analyzed and be the first to make a claim about the existence of galaxies at extremely high redshift, which equates to extremely young ages. And of course, what Eric Lerner is, Dr. Lerner is trying to do here is to criticize the Big Bang for not having enough capacity or enough age to both um, create galaxies, have galaxy formation, And also have galaxies to start spinning up and have galactic rotation so you know those are legitimate criticisms and yet we have to first make sure that the uh that the calibration between redshift and distance is calibrated and of course in his model what he's doing is doing something that i actually have a connection to um and that is via um one of my colleagues two of my colleagues at UCSD. So what he starts with was tiny and smooth galaxies mean no expansion and thus no big bang. So he's claiming his model, which is a form of plasma cosmology. We'll get into that in just a second. That plasma cosmology accounts for how this, uh, the universe uh, is actually structured in a plasma model, such as his, uh, there is no expansion and therefore there's no big bang. The big bang is the inevitable consequence of a universe that's expanding in that if you trace the clock backwards, you get a universe that's much smaller denser, hotter than in uh, its current phase. So he's trying to cast down on it. This is what he's trying to do. Uh, and that's all fine. Uh, but he has an agenda, obviously he has an agenda that he wants to promulgate his cosmological model. And there's a danger that you'll c- account anything um, uh, as evidence for your theory and everything as evidence against another theory. Um, so, uh, so he's gone on about this merger process uh, and how this has has actually not been successful. I should also point out some of the features of uh, of his cosmology, which have not changed. So this is point number three, I think, of my ten. Uh, so the first one is that the that uh, the, the um, you know to state the Big Bang never happened, and then claim things anything like panic in the title is really evidence that. Uh, cosmology is in crisis because of a title of a paper. I think that's kind of specious, to be honest. Um, it's it's kind of tongue in cheek. Maybe he's not super serious about it. Who knows? Um, number two, calibration uh, has not been applied. Number three, he's got an agenda, a model. Um, so his his colleagues um, uh, and and, uh, and and he are trying to uh, are trying to postulate that you don't need to have a big bang to have the structures that we've seen in the universe since. The these data have come out now. What's interesting is that his model, his model came out in 1991, um, and that was before even the COBE satellite data had been released, showing that there were fluctuations in what he calls the alleged or supposed uh, cosmic microwave background. Let me see if I can find what he calls it. Um, uh, Asymmetries in the microwave background that should not exist. Let's see here. That drive cosmic evolution, microwave background um, phenomena that we observe. Okay, so we're going to get into this topic in just a bit. Um, can be explained uh, using laboratory. Okay, in other in other uh, uh, works, he's dismissed the cosmic microwave background uh, completely, saying it, it is not based on, it's not uh, to be counted as evidence for the uh, hot, dense early phase of the Big Bang. So he says, something could have existed before the Big Bang. I mean, nobody's claiming that uh, existed in the Big Bang model, although there are models, as we talked about a month ago with anaegis, the bouncing cosmology. There are uh, structures and structure formation, isocurvature fluctuations, things like that that can take place in so-called bouncing or cyclic models. He's dismissing those completely. Um, He doesn't believe in a cyclic model. Okay, so just as there's the Big Bang, if the Big Bang hypothesis were valid, theorists should expect that JWST looked farther on space and back in time. There should be fewer and fewer galaxies and eventually none. A dark age in the cosmos. Well, okay, so there is a dark age in the cosmos and it's before the earliest galaxies that are shown in the JWST data. Uh, so so there are blank spots in the cosmic um, in the cosmic web. In fact, what he dismisses completely as the result of what's called a cosmic screening, we'll talk about that in just a bit. Um, uh, that cosmic microwave background is a dark there are no galaxies when the CMB is produced the 380 thousand or 370 thousand years after the big Bang he can't explain that so um, so there are actual blank spots in the cosmic structure formation history now he's saying while well, big bang theorists were shocked and panicked by these so again he's he's equating like all these all these theorists by the way the papers that were published, um, with that title or I was submitted, it's not published. and I think it's it's very you have to be very careful if you're a good scientist. I'm saying this to my students and to people that want to know how to assess both publicly disseminated information and actual scientific data. You have to be very careful with what you quote and what you accuse people of believing. And you have to be extremely careful of what you how you account and what you're considering people to be. So first of all, the paper that's published a panic, those are not theorists. They are not theorists, they are observers. So not getting not understanding who you're talking to and what the data and what they're representing. it's as egregious as you know going into an Apple store and getting asking for a, a Samsung phone. It, sh- it demonstrates a lack of professional courtesy, let me just say. And we'll see later that uh, Eric, uh, Dr. Lerner, he is uh, no stranger to making accusations against the scientific community, which is another one of my warning signs, the ten warning signs. So, um, so they're saying they're shocked and panicked. Nobody's been panicked about these new results. Again, he is creating a false narrative that people are in a crisis and that um, luckily we have his model, which by the way, has been around um, since many of you, before many of you were born that are watching certainly any of my students that are watching, Uh, 1991. So it's a uh, 31-year-old paper, a book uh, that he has been um, continually harping on. And that book was written before the uh, discovery, seven years before the discovery of dark energy, a year before the COBE results were announced. And yet, as new data have come in, there's been absolutely no new progress in this model. It's just the same model that's been recycled since the time of a man by the name of Alphane. And so we'll talk about that. Let's go down here. So um, so what he talks about uh, here is cosmology in crisis. You see all these different references, et cetera. Until the past three years, if a research could self-fund cosmology research as a silent, as in the case with me, they could still publish heretical papers. So this brings me to a fifth or sixth point that I, I always like to make, a point. You should never accuse scientists of being um, a cabal of acting, uh, and that there's uh, censorship going on. I joke with my students. Never compare yourself to Einstein, and never compare yourself to Giordano Bruno, who, of course, was burned at the stake for his truly heretical ideas. Um, at the heretical to the Catholic Church in the year 1600, he was uh, burned at the at the stake. Um. Now, why shouldn't you do that? Well, I think a lot of times you try to conflate your ideas with the ideas of people that were persecuted. I often get arguments like this mailed to me, Professor Keating, um, I have this new idea for cosmological model. Everybody's wrong. Um, I know you might think I'm crazy. They thought Einstein was crazy. Uh, but look what happened with him. Uh, so if you help me, the implication goes, then I will help you and we'll split the Nobel Prize. Um, and uh, so the, uh, uh, the, the conflation is always between someone great or someone who is persecuted for heretical ideas. It's this very loaded terminology. It's not proper scientific terminology, and it's hard to take it seriously. Um, I wouldn't take him super seriously at this point, um, other than the fact that uh, you know he, he has every right to make legitimate claims and concerns against the Big Bang. Um, but he's clearly advocating a position, a position that he has held unwaveringly since 1991, despite all the new evidence that's come out for the cosmological model, despite dozens or half a dozen Nobel Prizes that have gone to what's called the standard model of cosmology, namely that the universe it has been expanding for over 13.7 billion years, and it's predicated on three pillars – of uh that need to be explained uh in his model or any other alternative and i did a wonderful episode with my friend garrett lewis and luke barnes about two years ago now called the cosmic revolutionaries handbook and such a um and such a treatment says that if you have a revolutionary new idea here's the list of things you have to overcome in other words you have to explain everything that's explained currently Add more. You have to make new predictions. Otherwise, you're just adding on epicycles. So the question is, does his model explain more than the so-called standard model? The standard model of cosmology features a Big Bang, features dark matter and dark energy. Do we know what those are? Nope, we don't know what those are. We didn't know what 90% of the periodic table was until the last 80 years. So I don't think that's a, a, a true criticism. Um, it doesn't mean that we'll never know it. Now, if we, if we never have any insight and we just get stuck in a rut and just keep looking for the same exact thing, yeah, you could criticize it. He doesn't believe in dark matter. He doesn't believe that the universe is expanding, let alone that the expansion is accelerating, for which we have copious evidence. He doesn't believe this cosmic microwave background is cosmic. He doesn't believe in the redshift of galaxies. And he doesn't believe that the um, that the most of the lightest elements in the periodic table were formed during a hot dense phase of the universe because there was no hot dense phase of the universe. So he has to form those in very exotic uh, scenarios. And uh, he's been doing this, as I said, for so long now, almost over three decades, um, that, uh, that some people have actually criticized it. And we can look at the errors in this. This is a wonderful um, website that you should always look at, uh, run by my uh, friend and professor colleague at UCLA. Um, and his name is Ned Wright. And Ned Wright uh, has a whole, you know, web page dedicated to this. And it's called Errors in the Big Bang Never Happened. Uh, And so he first goes through the criticisms of the Big Bang, errors and alternatives to the Big Bang, and then miscellaneous errors. So back then, I think this, I forget when this uh, this paper came, this this website rather came out. Let's see, let me scan down to the, so this hasn't been modified since 2003, um, and a lot has happened since 2003, including the Nobel Prize for the discovery of dark energy uh, by past guests, Brian Schmidt and Adam Reese. You should look for episodes by them on this uh, channel. So, even back this time, uh, there was enough to dispute in this uh, work, uh, this proposal by Learner. So, now we're criticizing the critique, the alternative model. It's one thing to criticize a model, it's another thing to come up with another model that doesn't do as good a job as the model you're disputing. So, um, and, and oftentimes one of the signs that you're dealing with somebody whose motives um, may not be aligned with what you are uh, uh, looking for, which is the ultimate scientific truth, is that they not only prove somebody else wrong, but they also want to prove themselves right. And it's very difficult to do uh, both, either one of those, let alone both of those. So... Um, so he goes through, and even back then, he was talking about how hard it was to make uh, clusters of galaxies at large, uh, at large times. So he's still saying that in this IAI paper, right? So he's saying, to give an example, 150 million light year sheet of galaxies. Uh, this is in his book. So he's talking about superclusters, and how could superclusters form? This is in 2003. Ned Wright is dismissing the 1991 book by Lerner of almost the same thing. Structures take too long to grow. Learning a value of 1,000 kilometers a second and 75 million light years, H-naught, which is the expansion rate of the universe today, we find perfect agreement as long as omega, which is the which is the energy density of the universe, is close to one. Now, in 2003, when Ned Wright was writing this, we had already measured that omega was close to one. But in 1991, we hadn't. We didn't know if the universe was open or closed, if it had greater than or negative uh, less than uh, the critical density, which is what omega equals one means. And we didn't know the Hubble constant to better than you know 10% or 20% uncertainty. Now we know it to 2 or 3% uncertainty. And as you'll see, that's a critical ingredient. And so he hasn't updated his same argument. In other words, he's recycling the same argument that there's not enough time to grow. Um, even though in the time that he's written the book, 30 years later, we've refined the values of the input parameters of the Big Bang model that he's claiming are wrong. Now, he also talks about the the spectral behavior of the um, of the Big Bang uh, as measured by the um, by the COBE satellite and uh, others uh, as well. And because of that, he, um, he has a critique about not only the existence of the cosmic microwave background, but of its fluctuations as well. He actually references his model, which is a form of plasma cosmology, that was first popularized by a professor at UC San Diego, where I am. His name was uh, Al Alvain. Um, He won the Nobel Prize, and that's often used as a uh, as a way to bolster the that um, he wanted for plasma physics. And he claimed that plasma pervaded the cosmos, and that there was no Big Bang. Now, why did Alvan want to show there was no Big Bang? Alvan wanted to show there was no Big Bang because he believed that that was used as evidence by creationists to support the biblical narrative of the Genesis event. So that wasn't a pure purely motivated theory by al <laughs> uh, he had ideas and and and, and, compl- and that was 50 years ago uh and so now we have um we have eric lerner dr eric lerner recycling this model although according to ned wright ned wright says that he abandoned the plasma cosmology in the response that he had to uh uh to uh what 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 Ned Wright had put out. So in other words, Lerner said in a response to Ned Wright, he said, I disavow this, uh, this model. <laughs> he says, uh, Ned Wright, I'm just reading, I'm not going to switch back to the website. Remarkably, Lerner now disowns the Alvin Klein model, which plays such a big part in his book, and wants me to give the proper attribution. He points out that he lists, now, but but now in the IAI paper, he's citing the uh, the Al Fain paper. Okay? So he's talking about Nobel Prize winner Al Fain. Uh, so which is it? Do you disown it? Do you do you not disown it? Um, disavow it, rather? And uh, so I find this very, very, uh, I, I don't want to say misleading, but uh, it's certainly uh, kind of playing a distraction. Okay, so there it is. These scientific questions matter here and now over decades. Scientists starting with physics Nobel laureate Hans Alving. Have shown that the Big Bang hypothesis is thrown out. The evolution of the cosmos that we observe today, like the CMB, can be explained using physical processes observed in the laboratory. Well, wouldn't that be great? Except that if the universe is not expanding, he cannot explain how the CMB exists at high redshifts. We observe the CMB. This is the most damning evidence, I think, about and um, it didn't exist maybe as as highly accurately as it does now. And uh, and the time that Ned Wright wrote his um, wrote his dismissal and disproof of the learner model. But instead, he uh, he d- he did not know, and he does not cite the fact that if you measure the cosmic temperature uh, of the microwave background, it changes as a function of redshift, and we measured that in different galaxies. How can you possibly explain that in a universe that's not expanding? He has no answer for that. In fact, he's dismissive of the CMB. He believes it's due to like some scattering effects, which have been disproven for decades. And again, I am not. You know, averse to to tackling and to engaging with people who have alternative ideas. Don't forget, I'm probably the only person who's ever interviewed Giant Narlikar, who was Hoyle's best graduate student, probably, arguably. Uh, Fred Hoyle was the biggest proponent and opponent of the Big Bang. He gave the name Big Bang to the Big Bang model as an insult to the Big Bang because he thought it was so preposterous. And allegedly, it's a it's a British you know euphemism for orgasm or something, uh, and so he wanted to humiliate people that believed in explosive or because Hoyle also was against the creation Genesis one one narrative, um, and Hoyle and uh, Narlikar worked very closely together, and they worked together with Jeffrey Burbage and Margaret Burbage. and I sit in Jeffrey Burbage's office at UC San Diego. So I've interviewed uh, Jeffrey many times before he passed away 12 years ago. Uh, We chatted many times about cosmology. He went to his grave believing the Big Bang never happened and so-called quasi-steady-state cosmology, which has been utterly disproven, as I talk about in my book, Losing the Nobel Prize, my first book. Um, But I interviewed Giant Lerler Carr. I love talking to him uh and uh and i think you can learn a lot from people even if you disagree with them violently about their particular ideas but why are they doing this what is this about why are they trying to do this and um, that's my goal i want to teach you to look at these things so the last thing i want to talk about besides so i talked about you know um how does he explain uh the CMB? he doesn't there's another thing that he can't explain in a universe that has uh no expansion And everything is moving gravitationally why do we see some galaxies getting blue shifted why are they getting gravitationally attracted to us what how does he explain general relativity where if you have any mass density the universe cannot be static it cannot be unevolving he doesn't have a good explanation so he has to come up with all these epicycles in his model and it's not the first time this has ever happened it's the first time because of the rise of twitter and the internet that i'll get emails and messages from all over the world uh, uh, asking about this. How does he explain that? How does he explain the evolution of the redshift dependence of the CMB in a universe that's unexpanded? How does he explain the changing Hubble constant due to the presumed evolution uh, of the universe during expansion? How does he explain that the uh, that there exists of dark energy, which we measure not only from supernovae, but we measure it from the CMB alone. Um, and that is uh, left unexplained. The last thing I want to conclude with is something you always need to do And you need to look and, again, consider the source. What what is their motivation? Why are they writing this? Okay, so the process of plasma filamentation. Now we're getting to the good stuff. This is probably the last thing. To use fusion energy, the power that drives the universe and gives light to the sun. This is great. And the stars. We need to develop and drive that cosmic evolution just as the wright brothers developed the airplane by studying how birds control their flight i don't know that that's exactly how they did it i think leonardo da vinci looked at birds controlling their flight so today we can only control ultra plasma where fusion reactions occur by studying how plasmas behave at all scales in the cosmos we need to imitate nature not try to fight it we at lpp fusion have been applying that knowledge concretely so now now, I talk, now he starts getting into funding of these processes. The scale of the sun, work on larger scales, has been hobbled by the straitjacket of the Big Bang Hypothesis, which has diverted hundreds or thousands of talented researchers into futile calculations of imaginary entities like dark matter, dark energy, that have invented to prop up a failing theory. So cosmology can emerge in this established incident, establish recognize that the Big Bang never happened. So if you click on this link, now you come to where he's published his papers, Um, and, uh, when he talks about, he's published these papers and so forth, they only appear on his website. Um, they're not published in journal. Now he's saying there's censorship. Now to censor an article is an incredibly difficult thing. Uh, you have to have, uh, multiple referees that would agree and collaborate and collude to, uh, to and, and I like the website, by the way. If Eric, if you're watching, congratulations on this website. It's really cool animation. Take it from me. Um, I don't know anything about your uh, fusion processes, but I dislike the kind of conflation, again, of the universe uh, and the incorrectness of the Big Bang Theory with now uh, we need more funding for the type of fusion research that I'm doing. Uh, I think that smacks of a conflict of interest personally. Uh, and while it might be noble, and there might be, in other words, you might be able to say, well, people are, are not funding my cosmic uh, researches uh, and they're not funding my fusion research, therefore, you know, I'm being censored and, and ostracized at the highest levels. To get ostracized from, from journal articles, almost impossible. Um, he's, he's talking about get, and not being allowed to publish. Uh, I think that that's, those are kind of very bold statements. He has published uh, before um, in, in some journal articles, as he mentioned. I don't think that there's, um, you know, much point. Now I look through the articles; they're sixty pages long, and that brings me to the final point. Again, uh, quoting from, uh, quoting from uh, Carl Sagan, I think, or I don't even know who this from. But it takes ten times as much energy to refute. I don't want to say any bad words, okay, guys? Uh, fill in, fill in, you know, the blank here to refute BS <laughs> uh, than it does to produce. I'm not calling him BS. I think he's probably very knowledgeable about science. This is what I find often, that people are like so down a rabbit hole. They haven't really collaborated. They haven't been involved in university settings. Uh, they're, they're trying to come out of left field using this argument that, you know, work for Einstein, it work for me. Um, and so I wanted to just, you know, alert you. When you see articles like this, go through the links. Take them seriously. Take Eric, take people like him seriously. He will be debating, you know, one of the foremost cosmologists in the world, Priya Narajan, at uh, at How the Light Gets In Festival. I hope that'll be great. I hope they'll get a uh, a good turnout. Um, And uh, I hope maybe she can, you know, even substantiate more with what I am talking about from her expertise in black holes and formation of those objects, and how they anchor and, and behave in type of galaxies. Um, he also, as some people are mentioning, Gregory Head, and others are mentioning things like, um, he, he also dismisses the abundance of light elements. And because of that, uh, that would be a, a reason to dismiss this. Well, I don't think that's uh, exactly true at all. In fact, I have a video, as I said, on Sunday, you can find a link to it on the channel already for the premiere so watch that video that's about how do we know the abundances of all the lightest elements on the periodic table not just the helium and deuterium that he's talking about so how do we know that the universe originated from a hot dense state one of the biggest most precise ways we have of doing that is measuring the abundance of light elements and i'm going to be um presenting as I did in my cosmology for undergraduates, advanced undergraduates classes, it's, it's an advanced lecture Although you don't, you know, I put in a lot of entertaining jokes and my editor's really fun. Um, and so I think you'll like it even if you're not an expert, but I go through the equations and the calculations of how we know the abundance of uh, and calculate the abundance that can only take place if the universe was once as hot as the hottest plasma fusion reactors that Eric Lerner or his colleagues could ever consider. And that's uh, tens of millions of degrees Kelvin. And that does not exist in the uh, plasma cosmology um, uh, universe. And in fact, he has to come up with other ways to form it, which the article by Ned Wright, which I'll put a link to in the show notes when I get some time, um, uh, disputes as well. He talks about another way to produce lithium and and other other light elements that I talk about in the video on Sunday. So make sure you uh, do click and decide. Um, so I see a lot of like you know questions in the uh, in the chat. I don't have too much time. Uh, let's see if there. Uh, let's see. Could the James Webb Simon here? i that. Uh, could the James Webb Space Telescope could prove that there was no Big Bang? No, the James Webb uh, Space Telescope is not designed really to do uh, proof of the Big Bang. That's what I'm studying. I'm studying the microwave background, which is the oldest light in the universe. These are the oldest galaxies in the universe then it's a much higher redshift than Hubble could ever see. So what do they mean for the age of the universe after we set out the age of the contract? It doesn't change the age of the universe at all. The age of the universe is primarily determined by its composition and uh, the Hubble constant. And we know those exquisitely well. There is tension between two different values. They can differ by at most nine or 10%, which could differ change the age of the universe by a billion years, but it doesn't change it by infinite number of years. Um, and so uh yeah michael i don't know i could interview him uh, i have a lot of other things on my plate right um and uh i think this is pretty good he's debating uh and i think that uh, hopefully they'll make that available for people to see as well uh and that's next month or if you're in england go there um and check it out uh brad s um you're welcome uh that's great uh uh, paper trolls, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't consider him a troll. I think he's earnest. I think he's, you know, he's trying to do the right thing. I don't think he's doing anything, you know, scientifically untoward. I just think he has, you know, perhaps confirmation bias, where he's trying to, um, uh, where he's trying to. Um, you know, really motivate his model and take down the predominant one. Now, it's true that we don't know what dark energy, Rob, and dark matter is. That doesn't mean we don't know. You know, we 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 didn't know what quarks were until the nineteen eighties and nineties. Really, uh, it doesn't mean that they didn't exist or weren't real in some sense. Uh, so, what if he's wrong? But we need to reevaluate. Oh, you know, we do have to reevaluate the universe's age. That is true. We have to constantly evaluate it. And the thing is, is that if if I thought you know, like a quasi steady state model was right then there'd be an infinite age effectively of the universe. And we are investigating that with things like looking to disprove, or really that's what we do as scientists. We don't look to prove models. We look to disprove them. Remember to you know, try to share the channel uh, so I can grow to that magical number, 69,420 subscribers. We'll do a Q&A. Maybe we'll do it live, and you guys can ask me all sorts of crazy questions and fun questions. I'd love to answer them. Bye everybody. Had a fun and I'll talk to you guys soon. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic.